our Bible reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 5, reading from verse 33 to 39. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so, so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says, the old is better. Well, it's good to have everyone here, particularly those visiting with us. I definitely want to uh, extend a, a welcome to you this morning. In our Bible reading today from Luke 5, we see the account of Jesus contrasting the the new situation of the kingdom of God with the previous old situation under the Mosaic law. Jesus is beginning to teach about the new covenant that he has begun with his people, the new covenant which which he will seal with his blood on the cross. It's really an issue that we haven't experienced ourselves. I mean, we were not brought up under the old covenant. We've been raised and have walked this earth under the new covenant for our whole lives. And so I think we can sometimes miss how big a change it really was and the enormity of the task before Jesus to explain the new covenant, to explain the new way that God has chosen to interact with his people. And so as we go throughout the book of Luke, we are going to see Jesus unpack parts of the new covenant and unpack the new realities which he is bringing forth into this old world. New realities that it seems the Pharisees were not only blind to but hostile to as well. See, in our reading, Jesus is asked the question as to why he and his disciples are behaving differently to the other teachers, rabbis and religious leaders. Those people, well, they adhere to the fasting practices and principles of the Mosaic law and some even go much further and have placed even more strict regimes on themselves so that in their own eyes they are more holy than others. So why wasn't Jesus doing the same? Why wasn't Jesus adhering to the Jewish customs and practices demonstrating how fervent he was to uphold the law, to uphold the covenant that existed between God and man? You know, throughout history, God has made these covenants with man. We can look back right to Noah, where after the flood, God promised that he would never again cause such destruction on earth again like the flood and as a sign of that covenant he gave us the rainbow. We then also come across a covenant that God made with Abraham. The covenant that God made with Abraham was to make his descendants as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore and as numerous 
as the stars in the sky. And that covenant was established where God would bless this nation of Abraham so it could be a blessing to other nations around them as they served their God, the one and only God, faithfully. That's where the blessed to be a blessing really comes from. The next covenant God made was with Moses. And God gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments on that mountain as the nation of Israel was wandering in the desert and placed them in the Ark of the Covenant, the very place that God would reside amongst his people. And the last covenant that God made in the Old Testament was the Davidic Covenant. This was the covenant made between God and King David, that as long as the king of Israel was faithful to God and upheld the law that was given to Moses, then God would be faithful to the nation of Israel and cause great prosperity to fall on the nation so that they would indeed again be blessed to be a blessing. But as we know, it wasn't possible for human kings to, to actually do that. They all sinned. They were all unfaithful. Um, bar a few really good nuts in there as that, that sort of, you know, you sort of look at sh- as shining lights, but even they were flawed because they are human, just like we are. But the promise of God remained because the promise also included that a descendant would rule and reign on David's throne. And if we skip forward uh, several hundred years, after the period of time where God had been silent for 400 years into a time when the king of Israel is no more and into this world steps Jesus Christ. The covenants of old were ancient history at this point in time. Yet Jesus came to establish a new covenant between God and man. Because you see the old covenant, I believe in many respects, was flawed. There always seemed to be this separation between God and man and it seemed that being right with God was always at arm's length. It was almost within grasp, almost within reach, but never fully able to be grasped. And then God sent Jesus. And Jesus came, as we know, to do the will of the Father. And so here he is teaching that he has come to bring a new way of doing things. The old covenant was not sufficient but Jesus Christ is. And Jesus know, knew, knows, he knew at this time that, that his length of time on earth was not long. So if his time is short, why would he make and enforce his disciples to fast and to take time out to meet the religious re- requirements rather than minister the hope of the gospel to people? That was the purpose he came for. And he uses the parable of clothing to raise this point. Now, I'm not much of a sewer, but I have a wife who loves sewing and I'm very keen for her to continue that passion and I'm actually really excited about the craft group starting up. So if you're in a sewing, craft, knitting, crocheting, then go to Craft Converge. But I'm glad that there's people that it is their thing and that we can provide a space for you to do that in fellowship. Now, One thing I have gleaned from conversations with Kelly is that if you're making a new garment, um, particularly probably more so with a cotton fabric, you'll wash it before you sew it. Is this true? So that when you've sewed it and then it gets washed, it doesn't go all out of shape. Apparently if you wash it first, that happens less. So there you go. That's one thing I've I've gleaned from, uh, from, from Kelly's experience. And so when you use that to sew your, your garment, you have a better result, apparently. 
and it's the same sort of analogy of sewing and of of you know fabric and and the strength and the weaknesses of different fabric that Jesus uses here where he says that no one tears a piece of fabric from a new garment and puts it on the old because it would only tear the old fabric even more and likewise no one puts new wine into old wine skins because new wine needs to have flexibility as it ferments it needs to be put into something that has the plasticity and the flexibility to move and to stretch and to shrink with the wine as it goes through its fermentation process and releases lots of gases. If people were to put new wine into old wineskins, which is sort of like a leathery type sack made out of animal bits and pieces, um, they aged and became less flexible, a bit like a leather bag over time, and they became hard. And so this wine, as it was poured into inflexible containers, would tear and then the wine would be lost and wasted. And so what on earth does Jesus mean when he talks about fabric, new fabric, old fabric, tearing fabric and, and wineskins? Well, what he's really saying is that the old is incompatible with the new. The point of these two metaphors is that you cannot mix the old and the new covenant and that the new covenant era inaugurated by Jesus' coming will require repentance, regeneration and new forms of worship. The old is incompatible with the new. That's why you don't see me up here killing goats every single Sunday and stoking a big fire with them. Because if you're in the old covenant, that will be a major practice of mine. I'm very pleased that I don't have to actually operate an abattoir here. Aren't you? Jesus came to establish a new hope for humanity, a new covenant of hope. He's come to fulfil the law. What does the word fulfil mean? Complete. Jesus completed the law. He completed it. He fulfilled it. And so we now, because of his fulfilment of the law, are free from that system and are instead in covenant relationship with God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we have the privilege of a new type of relationship with God through Jesus Christ that was not available to Israel before Jesus. Israel is the old garment. We are the new garment. You don't tear a bit off us to stick into Israel. That's not how it works. The Pharisees they are so adamant about upholding the old covenant that they completely missed Jesus' message of hope that is found in the new. They missed what God was doing amongst them, instead got offended that Jesus refused to act like them. And this only continues in chapter 6 of Luke. Chapter 6, verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. So what the Pharisees are referring to here is the law of Moses to keep the Sabbath holy. So one thing that was, uh, one of the laws was that you're not allowed to do any work on the Sabbath. So to keep it holy, the Pharisees, they put in all these extra rules so that they wouldn't break the law. It's like, well, if, 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 if here is breaking the law, well, I'm going to put in rule after rule after rule after rule so I don't even come close to breaking the law. That's how they operated. And so what the Pharisees were saying here by observing Jesus follows picking grain is that they were 
breaking the law by working. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't walk through grain fields, um, but that's what they are. The, the picture there, is, that's like a head of grain. So what they did was they plucked that and they smooshed it in their hand until it sort of, the, the outer bits you don't eat, you know, flow away. And then they started eating the grain as they were walking through. A little snack. It's like the ultimate uncooked piece of bread. You know, let your stomach do all the grinding work and, you know, everything else for you. That, that's all they were doing. And the Pharisees had a go at them and said, hey, you're working. Really? They didn't see them out there with a sickle, you know, taking down head after head and, and rows of it and stacking it. And No, they were just picking something for a snack on the way through. But you're sort of thinking like me, well, is that work? No. But I was like, but whose grain is it? Did they steal? Did they steal someone else's grain? And, and then I looked at Deuteronomy 23 verses 25 and it says that you can actually pluck wheat from a neighbour's field but you can't use a tool. That's in the law. Is that you can, if you're passing, you see some grain, you can have a snack but you can't use a tool. And so they hadn't broken the law of stealing either because they're actually permitted to do this in the law. But apparently plucking the grain was considered work and so was forbidden and so they'd broken the law of keeping the Sabbath holy. So, according to the Pharisees, even feeding a hungry stomach was not possible. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? But Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I had no idea what Jesus was talking about when I read this. So I thought, okay, get me skates on. When did David eat some bread? That was not for him. And it's in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And there's a big story through this section. So just before um, chapter 21, David was supposed to be eating at King Saul's table every day as Jonathan's companion and, 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 a, and a, a guest of, of the king. A very important warrior he was for the nation. And um, David started not rocking up for, for, for dinner and Saul got angry and it was very fortuitous that David didn't rock up because Saul wanted to kill David, as you do, and uh, saw him as, as a threat to his throne and, and he saw correctly, I guess, in that, in that sense. But David flees and so he's got his mates with him and he flees and he goes to Ahimelech, the priest, and he asks for some food. He asks for five loaves of bread or, or whatever the priest can find. David actually deceives the priest. He lies to him by telling him that he's on a mission from the king. In 1 Samuel 21, 4-6 it says, But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. His pantry is empty. However, there is some consecrated bread here. Provide the men have kept themselves from women. And David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? And so the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. So what Jesus does is he points out to the Pharisees that David did this unlawful act because of his authority. 
And Jesus, he endorses Ahimelech's judgment in putting mercy before ceremonial law. And so how much more then can David's Lord and his followers do something that meets human need even though it violated the Pharisees' interpretation of the law? Jesus' argument essentially is that the Son of Man, not the Pharisees, through their regulations, ultimately rules over and interprets the Sabbath. Mercy triumphs ceremonial law. I think the heart of the issue that Jesus is getting to is that man is not to be confined by the Sabbath, but rather that the Sabbath is given as a gift to us. It's a gift for spiritual and physical refreshment rather than another way to oppress and control behaviour because that's what the Pharisees had turned it into. And if the Sabbath is for the benefit of mankind and if the Son of Man is Lord over all mankind, then surely the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. But I think that Sabbath is something we've lost in our culture. The importance of taking rest, you know, I think we've lost it and might have even strayed too far the opposite way. Because our values have changed so much now that in our culture, being busy is a marker of a successful life. If you have an entire day where you can choose to simply do nothing but rest, that does not sit well in our culture. Surely there are things that you could be doing you know, that are a more productive use of your time is what our culture screams at us. That's how the world looks at rest. And we've become so busy with all the different pressures placed upon us that rest is a luxury that only few, very few people can afford. And rest is usually only ever thrust upon us when we are sick. Yet even then we are made to feel guilty about not doing the things that we were expected to do. The Pharisees, however, had taken the heart of rest in the Sabbath out and replaced it with laws which to me seem to be even more work to keep than just taking it easy for a day. Jesus is Lord, though, of the Sabbath. He has authority over our days of rest. We don't have to keep stupid laws about resting. You know, there was even laws about how far you could walk on the Sabbath. But what hasn't been done away with, although the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, Old Covenant has been done away with, what hasn't been done away with is our need to rest. But what we shouldn't have done is taken away our commitment to rest. You know, it's not healthy to work yourself to the bone. We should take time to rest, to be with family, to spend time with friends, to take a walk in nature, to be enthralled at the beauty of God's creation. We should take time to rest. On another Sabbath, Luke 6 verse 6, so another day of rest, Jesus went into the synagogue and was teaching and a man whose right hand, a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus and so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Ooh, was he going to do some work? But Jesus knew what they were thinking, he is the son of God, and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? Good question, isn't it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. 
And he did so. And his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And so I just want you to think about this man for a moment. His right hand was withered. It was unusable. It would have been very difficult for this man to work and to provide for his family. He would have also been shunned because in that culture, illness and deformity were often a sign, considered a sign of God's judgment for your sin. And so this man would have lived a very difficult life. And here he is in the presence of Jesus who has the authority and ability to heal him and there are the Pharisees scrutinising everything Jesus did to use as ammunition against him. You see, the Pharisees would prefer to see the man continue to suffer than be healed because it was the Sabbath. The Pharisees in their zeal for upholding the law above all else completely missed the entire concept of the love and grace of God, the very love and grace that God was showing to us when he gave us the Sabbath as the day of rest so we could recover and we could recuperate and we could bring ourselves back to a sense of wholeness and completeness and health and restoration. How ironic is that? Jesus had acted out of compassion to heal the man with a withered hand. His opponents, however, find themselves in a dilemma and they actually refused to answer if it was lawful to do good on the Sabbath rather than harm, to save life or destroy it. They refused to answer Jesus' question rather choosing to stand in judgment of his actions after the fact. I get angry at the Pharisees. Jesus pointedly did not do anything in this situation that could be considered work. He didn't even touch the man, but simply spoke a word. And surely speaking is not prohibited on the Sabbath. And nor did the disabled man do anything forbidden either, for he simply stretched out his hand. And Jesus' accusers were silenced and they were furious. Jesus again provides proof that he is Lord of the Sabbath as this man's hand was restored. And isn't it so sad that even a miracle cannot change the hardened hearts of the Pharisees? They'd just seen Jesus heal a man with a withered hand and instead of standing there in awe, praise and wonder, their hearts were filled with anger. They were furious. And they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. They started plotting how they were going to kill him. I I said I'm so often puzzled and really saddened and often angry at the response of the Pharisees as to how they could get it so wrong. And then I look at myself. And I sometimes too am, am just like a Pharisee. And I too get things so wrong. I too don't see what God is doing I too ignore the new to hold on to the old. I too look to tradition or my preferences or or even people around me rather than looking to Jesus and looking at what he is doing. And it caused me to think, if we're honest, we've all been in a similar place where we think, how could I miss the love and grace that God is outpouring to me and be so hardened and callous at times with others? How could I miss what God is doing and be so bent up and so out of shape over what I wanted? 
But what Jesus offers to us in these moments of contemplation and learning from his word is the opportunity to change. He offers us the opportunity to not only understand the new covenant that he has with us, but to walk in it by the grace of the gospel. He offers us the opportunity to change from a callous, hard heart towards the miracles of hope that Jesus did and continues to do amongst us and to respond with the hope of the gospel and faith and belief. He offers us the chance to come before him, to repent of sinful ways, to remove ourselves from the stress, pressure and bondage of laws that have been placed upon us, the obligations that we feel we need to meet, the busyness of our lives and the expectations placed upon us by other people and even the traditions that have grown in our hearts and instead walk in the freedom that comes in the grace of the gospel and find our security and rest in him, the Lord of the Sabbath. I have a question for you. Why don't we rest? Why don't we make time to rest recover and recuperate? Why don't we make the time to invest in our physical and spiritual renewal? Why does there always seem to be something more important, something more valuable, more pressing, more worthy than rest? It's because we feel the need to do more. Doing more is what our culture holds up as successful. The more I do, the more valuable I am. The more I work, the more valuable I am. The more I volunteer, do this for this person, go and serve there, put in those extra hours, the more valuable I am. This is the message that our culture is telling us. Do more, work more, exercise more, go to the gym more, do more, eat more of the healthy stuff. It says do more, that's what our world is saying, work harder, work longer, do more, get paid more, do more. It's all about do this, do that, it's all about doing. Even kids' songs are telling this message, baby shark, do, 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 do. Have you come across baby shark? Oh, grandparents, thank goodness you haven't. Don't Google it, it will stick in your head for years. If you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. We're constantly being distracted by the push to do more. But Jesus is not Lord of do more. He's Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of rest. You know, this week I've been reading the first couple of chapters of Genesis with the kids. You know, where God created the world in six days and then he what? He rested. He Sabbathed. When was the last time you rested? Do you have healthy patterns? Of rest. That why should we rest? We're not under the Sabbath laws anymore. So why why should we rest? Because we have it all new. We don't have to Sabbath anymore because we're under the new covenant. So why should we rest? We should rest so we have the strength to be more. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of rest. He had a regular pattern of withdrawing from the crowds, of praying and resting. What was Jesus doing when they were sailing across the sea in the middle of a storm? He was resting. He was sleeping. And what did he do next? He demonstrated his power and authority and spoke to the wind and the waves and they obeyed him. Why? Not because of what he was doing, 
but because of who he was. How are we ever going to be better if we never take time to rest and to invest in us, in who we are? We are pulled from pillar to post to give everyone and everything else that is screaming for our attention that, that we never have time to build into us and who we are. We are so busy with the doing that we neglect the being. Now this week's been a challenge for me in this very area. I have had a lot on my plate the last couple of weeks um, and when you add into that additional uh, appointments, family visiting, extra stuff than normal, um, this week I felt tired and rushed and I, I normally have my sermon written by late Tuesday afternoon, mid-Wednesday morning. I completed it Thursday 6 o'clock. You know, I was two days behind by that point in time and, I mean, I'm a pastor. You're probably thinking, oh, Aaron, you're only pastor's lawyer. But, you know, we, we all have our different different things that matter to us. And so I felt rushed and I felt really behind this week. And I know other people work in jobs with longer hours than I do, physically demanding jobs that mine isn't. But that's how I felt this week. And I realised that I haven't really been you know, investing in who I am and my being. I've been way too focused on all the different things that I've had to be doing. So I've made a course correction for this week. I'm going to invest more in my being and not be so concerned if I don't get stuff done. Sometimes we need to break from old patterns and establish new, healthier, God-honouring patterns in our life. Because I'm sure as your pastor, you don't want someone who just does stuff all the time. You want someone who is right with the Lord and who is strong in his relationship with the Lord as a, as, as a first and foremost primary, like, yep, right with God, tick. You don't want, you know, uh, not right with the Lord, but look at all the stuff he did. There is this challenge that we need to work through and this dichotomy that Jesus raised in the very first passage we had today, the difference between new and old. You know, the new can be flashy and it can be fun. The old can be dependable and strong. What the Pharisees got wrong was that they did not see the new. They held onto the old and very quickly became outdated and very quickly became what I would consider almost sinful in the way that they, they held on and refused to acknowledge what Jesus was doing for the new. And so my challenge for us today when we look about the new versus the old, the new covenant that we live in versus the old covenant of the Pharisees is to identify in our lives, in our hearts, what are the old things that have crept, that we have held on to where Jesus wants something new. And so let's break from old habits, old thinking, old ways, old values, old traditions, old arguments, old patterns of busyness, that if they're not God-honouring, let's break from them and then seek the new that God wants us to step into. Let's walk in the new hope that Jesus has for our future, a new future that is grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings the hope of the gospel to our friends, to our family and to our community here in the northeast. You know what? That hope starts at home. That hope starts right here with us. So let's leave behind the old and walk in the new. Let's glean the wisdom of the old, but let's apply that in relevant ways today. Let's leave behind the folly of the old 
and walk in the wisdom that comes from God for the future. And may that future be in full submission to Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. And may we take time to rest, to realign and to renew our hope in the Lord. So what are some of the old habits, old thinking, old ways, old values, old traditions, old arguments or old patterns of busyness that you need to surrender and submit to Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. And instead of the old, find rest and find his heart for the future. Every day is what? A new day. His mercies are what? New every morning. Jesus does not want us to remain in old patterns that don't bring life and don't bring hope and that wear us down. He wants new vitality for our relationship with him and our relationship with people who need to know and love him too. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that indeed you are Lord of Sabbath. You are Lord of rest. Lord, may we break from old patterns that are just driving us into the ground, that are wearing us out and wearing us down. And instead, Lord, create new habits and new patterns in our lives that are healthy, that have time to rest and have time to rest in you. May we take those moments of rest to invest in who we are as your children so that we have the vitality in our spirit to minister the hope of the gospel to others. Lord Jesus, be with us as we uh, identify areas of, that we are holding on to the past that are not healthy for our future. Help us to break from those and embrace the new, to learn the wisdom and the lessons of the old, but to carry through your heart for the new and what you want for us in the future. So may we do that as people who are rested in you, people who are confident in who we are in you. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. The band would like to rejoin me. We're going to sing the same song again, Who You Say I Am, because that's where we want to rest. We want to rest in the new that is in Jesus Christ and who we are in him.